You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Meds, I'll be right back. <laughs> you think I'm lying? You're editing this out. But I'm actually not joking. And if I don't take them now, I will be shot tomorrow morning and during the night. So give me a moment, boys. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> back. I figured I might as well get a drink to wash it down with. <laughs> the only way to wash down pain meds is <laughs> <laughs> I support this. All right. So this week has been fairly light on news. We have a few things we're going to touch on later on, but I thought that it'd be a good time for us to actually look at some of the stuff that we are actually playing right now, what we're working on. Vince, you were talking about some D&D stuff. Joe, you were talking about a couple of games that you're working on as well, and you're going to be starting your Deus Ex Mankind um, divided pretty soon. So that's going to be pretty cool. And I actually finished uh, Batman Arkham Origins. I talked about that last week because I just started it because I'd finished uh, Arkham City, and so I wanted to play Arkham Origins. Now, yeah, this is an older game, but not necessarily everybody has played it. And I had played it and gotten... Not too, too far in before I put in maybe an hour and I just kind of scrapped it and started from scratch because, of course, I forgot everything I was fucking doing. And so I started from scratch and and it's not by the same guys, if ever, again, if everybody remembers. So there's kind of a different feel to it somewhat and you can really see the differences, especially in the boss fights I found. So what happens is that in the game, essentially, you are there's a, a hit on your head that's put on by a character named uh, Black Mass. And basically, there's a whole crap load of, you know, B-list villains, essentially, that he recruits to come and take you down, including, like, Deathstroke and whatnot. And... What I found right away, like you are, of course, going to Blackgate because at that time Arkham was closed. Don't ask me why. doesn't really say, and I honestly don't even fucking know. Because this occurs not in year one, but within the first couple of years. He hasn't been doing this for very long. I mean, Alfred has even given him some lip at points saying that he's not good enough and he shouldn't be doing this. That didn't go over well. <laughs> and... um and so you've got some of the early stuff there, which was kind of cool, and I, and I enjoyed that. Because by the time you get to the end of Arkham City, you've gone through the you know roster of villains. You've done a lot of the things that you are used to doing as both Bruce as well as, as Batman. So it, it's always nice. Same as that year one. It's nice to go back to the origins every once in a while, not all the goddamn time. So you're going to Blackgate. Often you're doing other stuff around the city as well, but you're also going to Blackgate, of course, because shit's always going wrong there. 
off. They can't keep that place together at all. And so you're going back and forth for various villains to investigate different things and whatnot. And like I said, you're also going around um, Gotham quite a bit, but often you're going back there. One of the things that I found right away was how, for lack of a better term, flaky the quote-unquote boss fights are. It was almost as if for each boss fight, they wanted, and see, there's my alarm to take my nighttime pain meds. <laughs> Let's just turn that off. For each of the the bosses, they tried to do something a little different in terms of the combat instead of just leaving it as it is for all of the combat in the game. So there's a little kind of gimmick for each one. And it's very much a scripted pattern, which I hate. There's no originality. There's no impulsiveness when you're doing the boss fight. It's, okay, they're going to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And and back and forth until their life gets down to nothing. And I'm not going to lie. The boss fights, despite that, were still way too fucking hard, in my opinion. Like, way too hard. And the problem is, is that it's not hard in terms of, well, I'm not skilled enough for it. There's a little bit of that, obviously, but it's more, I need to perfect this script that they want me to do. I need to counter here. I need to step, step. I need to do this and whatnot. I need to hit, you know, five to, to, to do this, to send a, the, the, the sticky grenade. I need to hit one at this point. And it's very much scripted like that. And I, that, it, it gets annoying and it's just a pain in the ass. And not just that, but not all of the boss mechanics are fun either. Like the first quote unquote boss you go up against, you take him down in a, a, a cinematic event. You don't even really do fuck all. And it's a joke. And then as you progress, some of them are like... Of course, you don't do anything. The goddamn Batman does. Well, if I'm going to be the fucking Batman, (laughs) I want to be able to play and do shit. And then Deathstroke was the one, and Deathstroke is not that far in. I literally started another game in easier mode because it was like, fuck this shit. I've had it. And I went at it for several days, and it was like, this is stupid. And then the same thing was happening for the, the other bosses. And some of them are just horrible, actually. Like, again, it's, it sounds a little bit negative, but those boss fights are kind of scattered across the game, and it's not the bulk of it. The bulk is still fighting yahoos all over the place and kind of investigating and shit like that. But you find out at one point that Black Mask is actually Joker, and this is early enough in Batman's story that Joker is new. Like, who is this Joker character kind of thing? Which was, again, one of those things that, especially coming off of the Telltale Batman, was like, ooh, this is, I'm in I'm in the mood for this. Okay, I already know who he is. We already know all these origin stories. But you know what? I haven't done it for a while. Cool. Let's, let's have some fun with this. And, and I actually really dug the Joker in this game more so than the others. He is that much more sinister that much more psychotic. He's more the Joker in this one. Like it. it, it well, it just, yes and no because feels... yes and no because you get 
so many different types of Jokers across the comics, the movies, the TV animated series and everything. There's like so many Jokers, just like there's so many Batman as well in terms of the the strong and stoic versus the little campy and stuff like that. What I mean though is like you get the you get the the maliciousness of him in this one, and you also get the sense that he's unhinged, which oh, is something yeah. that, which is something that in I, I've commented on the later games in, in that when I Arkham City and even uh, beyond, it's he's not so crazy in those. Like it, the way they wrote him, while still good, is a lot more. I don't want to say straightforward, but he has a very clear plan. That's and, exactly it. Yes. So like it, it, in this one, it's he's harder to predict, right? Like at least that's what it feels like to me versus the other games, which is what you want. Like the yeah, um, I, I agree. The other ones, the other ones, he comes off as more of a Batman with this master plan that everything's falling into place. Whereas with this, he's just batshit crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing most of the time. He's just it's all impulse, and it's. It's it's batshit crazy. Like he's doing things like when he's sitting down in the electric chair and things like that. And you go like, holy fuck. And what I also liked is that one of the big issues that a lot of people have with the Joker character, and they've kind of tackled this in the comics as well, is why is he that hard to kill? Because, I mean, he gets put through the ringer and he should be dead. And the comics, especially the last batch, kind of made it seem like he's a lot more than just a dude who fell into a vat. Whereas this, he comes off a lot more like someone who is just, uh, not just the craziness, but he's a skilled fighter still and fast kind of in some of the things that he does. And that's how he gets away with shit. Not that he's some kind of um, supernatural. Now, granted, I say that, and yet there's still points where you're like, okay, like fuck, nobody can survive what just happened to him. But again, it's fucking Batman. You have to let shit go. But I much preferred the animation on this Joker as well. It was way creepier, and it just fit with the voice so beautifully. And there were lines delivered that were like, oh, that was nice. And especially when you're seeing him with uh, Harley especially the early stuff, because again, that's something that we know this origin story, but it's nice to see their take, what they're going to do with it. So that was kind of cool as well. And then you do have moments here and there that are, that kind of skirt away from the norm, but then bring you right back. Like there's a point where you're fairly certain that Alfred's dead and you're like, are they really, they can't kill him because this is supposed to be in the continuity of the other ones. And Alfred was in the other ones, and then he realizes he can use the shock gloves that he's using now to resuscitate him. So, again, there's little moments here and there like that. Um, Overall, again, with the exception of the boss fights that I was not a fan of, especially especially the Joker one, which isn't the final quote-unquote boss fight per se. There's still more stuff to do after that, including the, uh, the DLC, which I've been doing with Mr. Freeze. But... The stuff with uh, with Joker, the fight Joker at the end, is a joke. Like, it literally does not require any skill. You stand there, and you just keep pummeling him. Pause, he laughs, flies off into a wall or whatever. Pummel, 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 and you just keep hitting 
you know, leftmost button and that's it. Like the, the, what's supposed to be the climactic fight was a farce. So luckily you're not going there for that. You're going for the story and for everything else and the detective modes and, 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 and all that jazz. So, so there were elements that I was not a fan of, but the rest more than makes up for it. And the fact that again, it's a little bit older game now, so you can get it on the cheap when there's sales often. It is really worth playing. And I've been, like I said, I'm working right now on Cold Cold Heart, which is the DLC with Freeze. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. I love that if you actually do play it, when you get to the end and the, the credits roll, don't skip out of it. Because Mark Hamill starts singing Cold Cold Heart as the Joker at one point. And you're like, oh my God, this is fucking glorious. And then there's a fake news report where they're talking about reopening Arkham. And Quincy Sharp is saying he wants to reopen it because obviously Blackgate can't take care of these people, which clearly they cannot. So, and like I said, I'm not done the DLC yet, but I am having fun with it. Joe, by the sound of it, did you actually play this one at all? Origins in the DLC? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What did you think overall? Honestly, Origins is probably still my favorite in the entire series. Really? Um, just because of of how not just how new it was at the time and how well it told the story, but I felt the characterization was the best. I felt the DLCs were actually worth the money versus some of the later installments through the DLCs. Um, the voice acting I thought was superb. Yeah. Um, and aside from a couple wonky boss fights, um, particularly like you said, the the last encounter with the Joker. Um, besides stuff like that, it's it's a good game. Like it just all around, it's a good game and I have very little to complain about it. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, that's the only way I could really describe it. It's just, I I've played through it a couple times as well. Like even after playing through, uh, Arkham Knight and Arkham city and, and everything like that, I've played that probably three or four times through. That's I a just lot. Think it's, actually, I think it's actually, pretty good and and that also uh the i have the Blackgate deluxe edition as well um so i mean there's all sorts of new stuff on that as well cool it's it's just it's it's the most well done out of all of them in my opinion i don't know that i agree that it's the best but it's so close that it's really not even worth arguing and what it does well it does very well as much as i like troy baker of course i would have preferred conroy kevin conroy because he's batman but Troy Baker is so freaking close. Like he's he's very very close so it fit. Although I will say I really didn't like the 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 way they designed Bruce for some reason looked weird in this one I found. I wasn't a fan. And then of course Mark Hamill was spectacular in this. So he the voice acting yeah, yeah. 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 So so yeah, it's that's what I just finished. Like I said I'm just going to finish the DLC and then I'm going to uh move on and finish Arkham Knight and then I'll be done. With the uh, with the Arkham games, and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> can, can move on and finish off some other series. Okay, so Joe, what have you been doing? I have been playing the absolute hell out of Dishonored Two. Um, I know a lot of people it? are complaining that it's a short game, um, but it's not. Like you can get through the main missions really quick, just like you could in Dishonored. But I've been taking my time, and I've been playing through with Emily. And the interactions you have with the various NPCs, the, the citizens, as well as the different ways that you can, you know, solve problems or go about the missions are absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
like there was one I was telling you about it a little bit earlier. There was one uh, quest where you had it, where they introduced the time skipping, where we saw that um, that weird device in the the previews, and and everybody's seen this, where you know you flip up the the item and it has this little like mirrors, and you can see into the past, and you can jump between the past and the present, and actions you take uh, in the past affect the present. The way they introduce that and how you get to that is actually really well done, and there's a whole big story moment. Um, which I accidentally bypassed the entire thing by figuring out a puzzle that I wasn't supposed to figure out, uh, which I thought was interesting that they allowed that to happen. Uh, so I wound up solving the lock logic puzzle, getting into the estate of the noble that I had to try to find without having to actually side with any faction to get it done, um, which completely changed how the story progressed at that point. And it was absolutely phenomenal. And then from that moment on, it was it was like probably midway through the game, I think it's like the fifth mission. Um, that time jumping thing changes everything, and you learn so much. There are things being revealed in this game that were threads left hung open from the first game, and that's phenomenal to me. That like not only do they just make a next story and and just kind of ignore what happened in the first game, everything is still interwoven. Everything has an impact, and I think that's it's just so well done. The mechanics are clean. Um, I really like what they did with Emily as far as her power set goes. And I know we were talking about it before uh, many times where she has the different powers and they look very interesting. Um, her shadow walk is is super intriguing simply because of the vantage point. It's like the rat possession, but tilted. Um, best way I can phrase it is like if you ever watch the 1960s Batman when the, like the camera just goes off to the weird angle that's how it feels like almost. So it adds this weird, dark, sinister sort of tint to the scene that you're looking through her eyes where she's supposed to be this innocent-ish, you know, empress that's supposed to, you know, try to regain her throne. And you get these little hints of, like, devilry from her. And it's 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 pretty intriguing. Um, the, the voice uh, act... Hold Sorry, on one ahead. second if you don't mind. Uh, did you... Okay, does it give you the option of like importing your save from the first one, or do you make choices to tell it what you had done in the first one or how does it work? Uh, there are choices that you tell it what you did from okay. the first one. It doesn't look like it imports directly, at least not that I've seen. Um, but it, how did you, did you find it fairly seamless in terms of your remembering what you did in the first oh, yeah. one? And then this, Oh yeah. They make, they, they make callbacks to a lot of the key events too. Nice. Like a lot of the people and things like that. Um, in particular, and and this is going to be a tiny bit of a spoiler. Um, remember in the first game where Corvo had the heart and the heart would like tell you where the runes and everything were? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the outsider would whisper to you through the heart. Yeah, it's not the outsider in this one. He gives you the heart. Um, but you actually learn more about the outsider, his origins here, where he come from, how he came to be and what the void actually is, which is really important for the rest of the story. Um, but the heart is the heart of Emily's mom. Oh. And okay, not, not only... <laughs> that's the only big spoiler I'm allowing you. I will fucking hang up on you if you no, give no, us no. more than <laughs> that. There's no more spoilers. Because you said that, that and I went, holy fuck, you bastard. <laughs> they they talked about this in the preview stuff. If you go through and you actually look, they did show that part. Not what, like You hear her voice and you can put two and two together. They don't just flat out tell you. But the interesting thing about it is 
instead of just having the outsider tell you things when you squeeze out, if you aim it at people and you squeeze the heart and try to get it to interact, Emily's mom will tell you her Dude. memories of things. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm debating I'm whether I should. That. I'm debating if I should um, play through the first one again because I pre-ordered it for uh, for the PS4, so I got the first one for free, kind of thing. And I played the first one on PC, but I'm wondering if I should play it again just to refresh my memory again and see if it will import all of the choices that I made, kind of thing. The only problem Even is, is that it's still again. You, Anybody who says the first one was short too, like you do enough in that thing that it takes a while to get through that game. It does. And uh, even if it doesn't actually import the saves, I highly recommend if you don't remember the first game very well um, or if you just want to refresh your playing through it and the DLC, particularly the Knife of Dunwall, uh, because those are all stories that continue on into this one. Yeah, I think I'll restart it. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I love Dishonored 1, um, but I think Dishonored 2 is actually better than Dishonored 1, and I never say that about sequels. How so? Just the the pace of the story is better, the graphics are ab- absolutely better, the environments are a lot more interesting, and the, the time flow mechanic, which I normally hate the whole time travel thing, makes for very, very intriguing uh, level design, and it does have an impact not just on you and the environment, but also NPCs you interact with. There are certain NPCs that you can do something in the past will change how they are in the future and vice versa. And it makes a huge difference and it adds so much more depth because you can go through the game uh, completely just never looking back and just kind of running, gunning and doing everything just like you could in the first one. But the rewards for taking your time and exploring and actually like using everything uh, it's just it feels a lot more gratifying. What and about I, what about the um, the atmosphere? Because that was one of the things in the first one that you just it was just such a cool atmosphere throughout the entirety of that first game. That that city was one that you just immediately connected with and had a presence of its own kind of thing. Are you getting that from this one as well? Because it is a different city. It's not just a different city. It's a whole different. It's a set of different areas. Yes. Like there are multiple areas here and each one has its own feel, its own vibrancy, its own life. And it's really, really cool. Um, like the dust district, you can see where um, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. I don't want to spoil too much, but you can see how the people's lives there have been shaped and it feels much different than, you know, Karnaka proper and Karnaka feels very, very different from everything else. Everything is, is very unique and it feels just like Dunwall did where it was, you know, it has its own atmosphere. It has its own theme, but you can listen to the NPCs. Like there's one point where I was in Karnaka and I couldn't figure out a path because there was, um, I'm playing it on the, the highest difficulty because I'm a glutton for punishment. You are. And, there's a lot more guards and there's a, the patrol paths are actually random. Um, so they're not completely charted out. They're not always going the same patrol paths, which makes it incredibly difficult. There was one point where I was hiding in a storefront where I could actually see them, but they couldn't catch me trying to plan when I was going to go. But the storefront was below a, a set of apartments and there are people living in the apartments and you can hear conversations 
of these people, not just about like the guards or like the war, or the plague or anything like that, because there's no more plague. The plague's been gone. Everything, everything's taken care of there. Life has advanced. Things have gotten quote unquote better under the rule of Empress, Empress Emily. But you hear them talk about their lives and their daily occurrences and not just like, oh, you know, I went out in the streets and got beat up by a guard today. It's, you know, I couldn't find bread today or, you know, whatever the case is. And each area has different characteristics, different feels for it. They feel alive. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, another thing that was improved in this game versus the, the first one is civilians in general. When you come face to face with them, they make decisions based on your actions. So if you're a murderous bastard, they're going to scream for the guards. If you're maybe not so murderous, they'll actually talk to you and give you a chance. How would they know? What, you got blood splattered all over your outfit? <laughs> because you're in a living city where rumors travel. Learn to you murder secretly. <laughs> but no, if you well, if you hide the bodies and, you, and, and stuff like that, you're, you're usually okay. And I learned this the hard way. <laughs> but if you have a high discovery or high chaos rate, basically, and they, they you, people find the bodies... Stuff travels, like news travels, and an NPC that was cool with you at the beginning of the mission may scream for the guards at the end of a mission. So it's completely dynamic all the way through. Hmm. Cool. Okay. I really enjoy it. Like, it's it's probably the most fun I've had in a game in a long time. I was actually considering, um, once I'm done Arkham Knight, starting that up. Uh, I'll have to decide whether I, whether I want to go through the first one again or not. Hold on one second. There. <laughs> Sorry. Not <laughs> 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 me this time. Oh, God, <laughs> I'm listening the whole time. I'm going. He's gonna stop. He's gonna stop. There. He stopped. Oh, he's starting again. Son of a bitch! <laughs> How long have we been doing this? <laughs> All right. Mental lapse. Uh, yeah. Vince, I'm going to type the whole time you're fucking talking. <laughs> it's okay. It's easy to edit that one out. No, it's not. We're merged together. It's down mixed. I thought we were on different tracks. No, no. Uh, that, that was way before. But once I bought the mixer years ago now, we've been down mixed. So, yeah. Go ahead. Well, then. Talk, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I've been playing a couple games lately. Um, I'm still going on Final Fantasy 15. Not a whole lot to report on that front because I'm closing in now on, I think, like 35 hours played. I'm on chapter six of 13 of the story because I've spent probably 80% of my time in game just doing worthless side quests because they're there. <laughs> like, it's like, unlike most open world games, the side quests have zero like value outside of xp and money like you play a game like witcher or dragon age or something like the side quests yes they're there for mechanical rewards but they also like expand on the world and give you side characters In the case of the witcher some of the side quests are better than the main quest <laughs> but i i'm basically just running errands for shopkeepers but i want to be you know, powerful. I want the good gear. I want the high levels. So I'm doing it. Have you come across that massive fight yet? I've come across several massive fights. Well, the one that would take specific, the one that would take 72 hours. I still don't know which one you're talking about. Cause I didn't watch that Conan O'Brien video. Oh, okay. All right. 
It's a giant. Well, it's the one that we saw in the in one of the um, not trailers, but at one of the press conferences where oh, they the, showed the, Titan the fight the, where they fought a hand the entire yeah, time. Because yeah, he, he's essentially a god. You're not. You don't actually fight him. So yeah, if you were to fight him properly, it would probably take forever. But the fight is basically a glorified QTE. Okay. Start going. Like, the 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 story, the main story is thin at best. Like there are some really cool moments, like for spectacle, but uh, the characters, like it, it's not really clicking with me. I'm just doing it more for the the gameplay fun than actually wanting to see how things go. Well, hold on. You put in over thirty hours, and you're not really into the story. You're only playing for gameplay. Like I said, I'm most of those thirty hours are just side quests, right? The the actual like main story is very brief. Like I caught up on some side quests and I was like, okay, let me do chapter three. I was on chapter six in less than an hour after that. Whoa. Like it oh, cranks man. through those story missions Jesus. real quick once you start doing them. Hmm. Um, but aside from that, I've actually been catching, not catching up, uh, getting back into Path of Exile. Did either of you guys play it? No. I think I, I tried, have it, but I haven't played it, no. I tried and then I kind of got bored with it and then moved on with my life. Because I remember I was in the alpha, I think, definitely the beta, and I I played it for a while during the dark ages of Diablo 3 because it came out not long after Diablo 3 came out, and then not long after Path of Exile officially releases when Reaper of Souls came out and Diablo 3 became fun again. But I haven't been playing Diablo 3 in a while, and I was watching a YouTuber I follow was playing it, and I was like, huh, let me check this game back out again, and I'm still having a lot of fun with it. It's very old school Diablo, like in the Diablo two cents, but just the the wealth of options that are open to you, like it's free form character building. Like you can start with, you know, a, a, a ranger type and eventually build it into a spellcaster if you wanted or vice versa. Like, it's not easy, but it's something you can do. I thought it was more along the lines of a Baldur's Gate than a D2. Oh, no, it's it's very old school Diablo. Oh, hmm. it's okay. on, like the same thing like Grimdark is doing, too. At least similarly. Mm-hmm. So, like, what the things that make it really unique is you have, you know, this freeform tech tree. You can go wherever you want on it. And your skills aren't determined by your class or anything. They're determined by gems that you socket in your gear. So you can run whatever skill build you want with whatever passives you want, with whatever gear you you you, you can have. There's a lot of options. And, like, it's, as a beginner, don't bother trying to look up builds because it is Overwhelming, given the number of options and how long the community's been around, it's daunting. I have more fun just diving in and figuring stuff out for my own. I'm not gonna lie; I, that's part of what is keeping me from playing that game. Is the mm-hmm. fact, and and this is coming from someone who's played games for over three decades. Um, so I'm 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 looking at this and I'm seeing the well over three decades, <laughs> and I'm seeing how many hours you can expect to invest in it mm-hmm. plus then the builds and everything else. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't have the time for this right now. Well, allow me to sell you on something then because they've been doing the equivalent of Diablo three seasons with what they, with uh, what they call leagues where the leagues are actually very unique from, well, let's just call them season to season. It's not like Diablo 3 where, you know, sometimes they'll add in a bunch of content, but a lot of times it'll just be small balance changes and the seasons are not very different from the others. Each league has a completely different gameplay element. Uh, 
the league that's going on right now is called the Breach League, where you find these like dimensional rifts. And when you activate it, it spawns in enemies from another dimension that you have to fight. As you kill the enemies, the breach grows bigger and bigger, and you can uncover like really good like treasure chests and loot and stuff. So it's a fun twist on the gameplay that wasn't there three months ago. Cool. And some of some of the 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 breach not breach some of the league stuff has actually been folded into the actual game. Like there's a an NPC that'll give you prophecies, which will actually change how things play out in the game. Like you know there will be a camp of enemies that wasn't there before, or a unique spawn stuff like that. Well, what they're doing starting in, I believe it's March for the next league, which is also going to be the last league before the big 3.0 update, is they're calling it the Solo Self-Found League. So you can only play by yourself, which I'm not super crazy about. I like co-op, but there's no trading. So you can only use the items you find. So these incredibly complex builds that require you to trade for these incredibly obscure and rare items aren't going to exist. So it's definitely going to be more about what you find and kind of crafting your own build around what you've gotten, which actually really excites me because that game needs one thing, and that's an actual like auction house trading block because it's a cool economy because there's no gold. It's kind of like you know the old Diablo two days where certain items have values amongst the community, but SOJs, yeah, for 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 a comparison. But just like Diablo two, there's no in-game way to actually accomplish any of this. It's through forums and in-game whispers, and it's a disaster. So like having a league that's built around just what you as a player can find is actually exciting to me, and definitely scales back on. Uh, trying to get the perfect build because you're probably not going to have the perfect build if you don't have the perfect gear. How screwed are you if you do go down one path and then realize you're not really enjoying it quite as much in terms of whether it's getting points back or doing any of that jazz? It depends on how far you are down the path. Uh, through leveling and quests, you do get respec points. Uh, but it, like, if you're pretty deep down a path and realize you don't want to do that, you're better off just starting a new character. Okay. That's that's not a good idea when you're looking at a, maybe have pumped in 40 hours or so. Yeah, listen, it's not for everyone, yeah. but... <laughs> no, I'm just going back to my point that... For someone who's no... tired of Diablo 3 right now, but yeah, still no wants kidding. a game of that type, I, I feel it's the best option available cool. until the, that Warhammer game comes out. All right, awesome. Anything else? Uh, the D&D book, uh, I've been or campaign I've been working on. Did, Joe, did you ever check out that PDF? I did. What did you think? I need to read through it a couple more times. I think... Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on my third read-through. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot there. There's a lot of potential there, too. It's just how it's going to be realized is going to be interesting, I guess, would be how I would phrase it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I picked up a independent press uh, third-party adventure called Maze of the Blue Medusa, by Zach Sabbath and Patrick Stewart. And what they did was... He's tired both, of playing uh, Xavier? Hmm? He's tired of playing Xavier? He's gone into writing books for D&D now? He spells it differently. Okay. <laughs> but uh, they're both like indie game developers and adventure writers and whatnot. So they actually collaborated on this by Zach making 
a painting of a dungeon. And that's all it was going to be. It was like, oh, here's this crazy dungeon with a whole bunch of weird shit in it. And it's gorgeous. Like this book itself is I'm really glad to own it because like the book itself is a work of art. It's beautifully bound. The artwork is gorgeous. And then Patrick went, huh, okay. well, let's look at all this weird shit you painted in here and actually make up an adventure to go along with it. And it's a 304-room mega dungeon. Jesus. Oh, yeah. I'm having a hell of a time getting this (laughs) working on Roll20 properly. (laughs) But it's not just a dungeon (laughs) in the old-school traditional sense of you kick down the door, you fight the monsters, you loot the room, you move on. It's populated by a bunch of interesting curios like there's an entire art museum inside there (laughs) and these really interesting and interconnected NPCs like the uh, to to give you the, the broad scope the Medusa is an ageless being who created this maze as basically a prison for her father who's a demon and it's just been continually added to over the millennia uh there's these three immortal sisters who uh through a coup the leaders of their nation imprisoned them here and came along with them and it's just absolutely interesting of how all these characters are interconnected and the way the story of the dungeon plays out because the dungeon itself doesn't have a story each character has their own individual story but the overall story of the dungeon is going to be determined by the players and their interactions with all these npcs like if they believe that this evil npc is actually the good guy that's going to change things drastically and that's really what I'm really look, looking forward to the most is finally getting people in here and we need to get Sir Reginald in there. <laughs> no, come on, <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> Sir Reginald, Robin, and Dag <laughs> alive again. <laughs> Not for long, <laughs> because there's definitely NPCs where if you uh, piss them off, you're just dead. <laughs> Well, that's not nice. Well, if you anger the dragon, the dragon's going to eat you. Let's put it that way. (laughs) But I've been going through and doing a full uh, fifth edition conversion of it because it's written to be platform agnostic, but more geared towards old school D&D type systems or stuff like Lamentations of the Flame Princess. So getting an actual fifth edition group in there and having it play right is requiring a lot of mechanical work on my end, but I'm really enjoying that at the same time. And I opened this up to my gaming group. Initially, I had four to six players. It's now ballooned to eight plus. So this is going to be a delightful shit show. And I I actually, we're going to start running it next week, Saturday. So I'm actually really excited to see how things go. Cool. Very cool. And it's entirely over Roll20 as well. Like, I've got the maps in there. I'm using uh, the new uh, 5th edition D&D standard resource tools to actually have creatures and spells like it's i have character sheets thus far for over 70 npcs <laughs> so it's i just <laughs> testing the limits of what roll 20 can do is actually really fun for me as well <laughs> you're no kidding jesus that's awesome well hell you're gonna have to take us through there at some point once i'm done getting everything ready for this group it's something we can discuss <laughs> But I've been working on this for weeks at this point. <laughs> yeah, but um, I would assume once it's kind of going, 
then you get to go. The work's been done. Yeah, but to take a group then you of have two fine people to something that, yeah. balancing for a group of eight people is right. going to require a lot of additional work. Yeah, the, the, the one thing that is, I think is hard for people to understand when you don't run the games is that the hardest thing isn't necessarily setting up the content. It's setting up the content to be balanced for your player base because uh, an average party group is going to be between four and six players usually. So most modules and things like that are already balanced for that. If you add more players then the challenge level is almost trivial to them because you have extra PC actions basically interacting. So you have to rebalance it. And if you have fewer than that, like in the case of Yumi and Vince, everything has to be toned down. Otherwise those players get overwhelmed. It's a, constant balancing act and they and get eaten by snakes <laughs> they can be eaten by snakes yes. you bastard <laughs> uh yeah but for anybody who's interested in non wizards of the coast produced material like if that's all you're aware of i highly recommend checking this out uh joe the pdf was what five ten bucks it was yeah it was like i think i got it was i think it was like split the difference i think it was like seven bucks or something yeah. like that I mean, I got the entire book. I think it was $35, but like I said, it's a very well-made book, and that also came with the free version of the PDF, so it's very cool. Definitely check it out. What's it called again? Also, because... I'm sorry, go ahead. What would you say, Raj? What's it called again? It's called Maze of the Blue Medusa. Okay, cool. Joe? What I was going to say is the cool thing, too, about it being platform agnostic is while Vince is converting it to uh, fifth edition, I'm I'm slowly working on working it into my Savage Shadowrun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So it's going to be a slow process, but it, it is absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. I'm just looking it up right now on uh that's not on the Amazon.ca. I'm looking on. No, oh, it'll be on, it'll be on Drive Through RPG or RPG.net. Yeah. And the book itself is only available directly from the publisher. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I'll get PDF, the link. This is this is super indie press. Like, right. uh, this is actually the only book this publisher has put out because uh, he's traditionally a publisher of normal books, novels, and whatnot. But he saw what was going on here and actually created his own imprint at his normal publisher just so he could publish this book. Okay, I'm going to get you when you want or you have the time. Uh, drop the link for that into Discord, please. And then I'll okay. put it in the show notes. Hell, I might even pick it up if it's worthwhile. Even if I don't go through it, I know Tristan's been having so much fun playing that maybe it's something he would do. All right, awesome. Let's move on. So... One of the things that I was reading a little bit more about uh, last week was, even though I'm not playing right now, the patch 7.2 for World of Warcraft Legion is on the public test realm right now. (laughs) Of course, the thing that caught my attention immediately was they'd been talking about the pet battle dungeons so that's all i needed to do to needed to read to click a link it was like this 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 i'm going yeah whatever pet battle dungeons click <laughs> it's not enough that i'm going to resub using real money because i don't have enough gold the fucking price tokens keeps going up but um but super interesting to me, I thought. We'll get into that as you get to it. But run us through some of the highlights of what's going to be coming out and when you expect it's going to be coming out as well in the actual realms, not the PTR. 
Well, that's going to be kind of a mixed bag because there's a lot coming in this patch. Not only is are we talking about the next installment of the next raid zone, which I think might be start in 7.2, but might be 7.2.5. They haven't really discussed it so much yet. Um, but the TLDR version is that there's going to be um, a new set tab in the transmog UI so you can uh, track completed sets for matching armor. So, like, if you're a collector and you like going to get, like, your old tier sets and things like that, the sets tab will tell you which pieces you're missing from that particular set. Uh, so you can easily keep track of it and what you need to go get it, which I think is really, really cool. I personally like that. I think um, that's actually a really new, cool tool as well. It, it's a really cool tool. Um, there's new visual updates for Hunters, Death Knights, and Balanced Druids because there's been a lot of complaints that the uh, attacking animations for the three classes are boring compared to a lot of the other ones and to be fair it really is death lights have not been altered at all in their animations um so now those are getting update balance through it's the same thing in hunters well they basically shoot bows and guns so they're trying to get those a little more flair crafted uh gear is going to be getting bumped from 815 to 835 uh reputation beyond exalted with broken isle factions are now going to give additional rewards they haven't specified what those are yet but it's they're trying to find added incentives to keep people doing uh emissary quests and things like that besides just the cash uh so that's cool plus if you're doing order hall missions there are a bunch that will give you reputation tokens for the various factions and right now there's nothing to do with them besides send them to an alt that you may or may not be leveling. Um, the Obliterum Forge questline is being removed, which is good because that was one of the, the complaints that a lot of people had is Obliterum is the thing that you use to update crafted gear and raise the high, the eye level of that gear up. And it was an easy way for people to kind of get into content. But the quest to do it was super goddamn expensive because it requires you to get a piece of gear of every armor type and then destroy it. And because they were crafted gear, people could control the price of it. So on mine, it was uh, my, my server 15 grand for a set of bracers, which is stupid because people knew they could do it. Uh, I think that a lot of the stuff is getting crazy, stupid, expensive. And I think that too many people who are playing a lot of the end game stuff are assuming that everybody's got is flush with cash because they're doing all of the dailies and all the shit in end game where you get a lot more money. But it's like, fuck, like, again, the cost of the tokens right now is upwards of at point sixty two thousand like that is yep. fucking bad shit. Crazy. For... Go, Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, well, that the token is controlled by purely uh, an algorithm of supply and demand. The players don't set the price of it. It's if nobody is physically buying tokens with real money, the price keeps going up because they're scarcer and scarcer. I thought they were putting it on the auction house. It's an automatic thing. So, like, if you were to go and say, I'm going to buy a token for 20 bucks um, you, and I want to sell it for gold you don't set a value. You do it all through the website. It puts it up on the auction house. Well, should I take it back then? That's, that's how wow controls us so that people don't price gouge. The problem is if you have, you know, less and less people doing that, which less and less people are doing that now, um, the price is going to go up. So it's just based off of purely how many tokens are on the auction house. Oh, well, okay. Well, and then I take back that bitching because I, I thought it was people assume everyone's flush with cash. So they just keep trying to sell it for more and more and more. And that's one of the problems that you see at the auction house. Sometimes it's like people 
get ridiculous with how much they think you should pay, whether it's with a battle pet or any number of other things. And and to be perfectly honest, that's not an incorrect assessment, uh, but that's always been a problem with the auction house style economies, simply because when you have players that can control stuff like that, they're going to do that. It's just sort of unfortunately how yeah. things work. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but there are also some other things going on here that are, are also really important too. Um, the world quests rewards are now going to be scaling from eight forty five to eight sixty, which is big uh, because right now there's not a whole lot of desire to go do world quests that give gear because eight forty five is nothing compared to some of the stuff you can get. Um, and there's also kind of a big thing going on with Karazhan, Arcway, and the Court of Stars, which I really am excited for. Return to Karazhan was one of those dungeons that everybody was excited for. The problem is it's really, really long and requires several hours to get through if you have a me- like a medium-quality group. Um, if you have a good group, it's, it can go by in an hour, hour and a half, but there's a lot of bosses. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, there's a lot of running around, and there's a lot of things that you have to do. But not only that, it's mythic. It is mythic difficulty, which means everything hits hard. You have to have a certain set level of gear in order to be able to do it effectively. And not a lot of people have been able to do it. Same with Arcway and Court of Stars. They were mythic-only dungeons. And while it was cool uh, for those of us that could do it, people that couldn't do it, it was incredibly annoying. Particularly because these are three of some of the coolest dungeons that they've made in years. Now what they're doing is the uh, there's an item level increase from the rewards in all of them across the board, and they're being brought down so that you can do them as random heroics from the dungeon finder. Karazhan's going to be split in half. There's going to be a part one and a part two so that you can queue for either half of it, and players can actually get through it. It's kind of a huge deal. Um, the story, the, the, the quality of the dungeon is fantastic, and I want people to go through it because everybody should see it, and I think it's really, really nice. Um, Court of Stars is another one that... What we've always, uh, players like me, what we've always wanted is a little more RPG elements in our, our MMORPGs. Court of Stars gives us that. It, it's not necessarily a straight-up normal dungeon. There's a lot of, like, D&D adventure-style stuff going on in this place where, like, you have to attend a party and play Super Spy and interrogate people, basically, like, without blowing your cover to figure out who the agent of Alessandra is and then out that person and get them to run away. Like, there's all these cool... And, like, and that's an encounter. That's, that's a fight, is, like, you navigating through a party with your group trying to figure out who the, the person is but nobody got to see that or not a lot of people got to see that because it was mythic only and it was gated behind a reputation block no more players can finally get to see it and i think it was a smart move i think it's something that should have happened well before this now there's also some other cool stuff coming in 7.2 we're gonna get our class mounts finally and those class mounts are going to be able to be flying mounts uh some people are very very happy about it some people not so much I'm super excited because I get to ride a goddamn elemental. I think that's going to be fucking awesome. Some uh, of them are horrible, though. Like some are some are pretty bad. Yeah, like it, it just bad is the wrong word. Lazy is the right word. I think it just falls on something that yeah. looks almost identical to something they already have. Like look at the priest owl, which kind of looks you know I like, like that. I I do too. It looks a little weird. The face kind of derpy, different angles, but overall it is one of the best out of all of them, mm-hmm. but it's gorgeous. But then you look at some of the others and you're like, what the fuck was the point of that? That's just, 
they threw a couple of horns on the the side the sides of a, a skeletal horse for warlocks, and you go, oh, that's really not that big a deal. And there were a few others too. In fact, most of them that I kind of went, you know, it's not that that really interesting. Yeah, and and I will definitely agree with that. Is some of them are not so interesting. Like uh, paladins get another horse, yeah. and then the horse can also fly. It's kind of okay. But, like, there are some really cool ones, and there are some that look really fantastic. So some people will be happy. Some people won't. I saw this as f- their final fucking excuse, reason to give, like, druids a, a dragon form. Some badass fucking thing that they can turn into. They, they shit dragon on druids for years, <laughs> like, over a decade. Give them something awesome. No, it's some weird bird shit stupid the priest bird looks better than the druid bird how does that make sense that said druids actually have a really awesome glyph uh the sentinel owl which looks really fucking badass which i have on my druid it actually looks really cool because you're a fucking armored attack owl i think it looks cool but Aside from all that, and there's some other changes like tab targeting is getting fixed and, and there's going to be uh, some auto accept changes to joining people's groups in, in session, which if you didn't know, there's another feature called quick join that was added in the last patch where friends on your real ID list and friends list that queue for dungeons or raids, you'll get a little pop up and there's an extra tab in your social that'll say, hey, so and so is queued for this and you can actually join their that group. That is freaking nice. So you don't have to worry about reaching out to them and getting an invite. You can literally just join the group and go do stuff with them. That and it, is it awesome. actually is a really nice feature. Problem is it's a little buggy right now, and they're looking at fixing that so they can smooth that out so that it's easier for you to auto-join friends. Cool. Which I think is cool. They're, they're doing a lot to try to make the game social again, and I really do appreciate that. I think I think that's good. Now, let's talk about what Roger's been waiting for, which is going to be the Pet Battle Dungeons. It's actually kind of a cool feature. Wait, what? Pet Battle Dungeons, dude. Pet Battle Dungeons. It's Were you not paying attention earlier when Roger was going on about it? Poke- no, Damn. he was typing again. He was typing. He was totally typing. <laughs> Motherfucker. But no, it's I I think it's a, again, it's it's not enough that it would make me start paying them once again to go back in. But close, if there was enough <laughs> of them on a regular basis to make it interesting and really now that the architecture is there for them to do this, how hard would it be for them to convert every single instance, toss in the pets from that area, and just kind of queue in stats, abilities, and whatnot, and let you run them all doing that as well? I have a feeling that that's what they're gearing towards, actually. Like, it shouldn't be just one here and there. Fuck it. Put a couple of... You make enough money. Put a couple of people on this... This is their job. You're doing pet battle dungeons. Design them all, motherfuckers. Even put some raids in there for fun as well. God, molten core you know, pet 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 battle dungeon. Yeah, I'd probably resub for that. I honestly think that's where they're going with it. I mean, the, what we have right now on the on the uh, the PTR is basically just Wailing Caverns. Uh, that's what we have currently. Um, it's still early in the PTR cycle, so I'm sure there's going to be more. But the way it is, it's a scenario. It's a seven-stage scenario that increases in difficulty as you go further. Uh, and it's it's the actual dungeon. It is literally the dungeon where you're going through with your pets to try to battle the other 
creatures within there and you get rewards from either an ultimate pet uh, ultimate battle training stone which i think makes something rare in level 25 immediately and then damp pet supplies uh, but it's it's nifty because not only do you take your team through there um, revive battle pet revive battle pets which is like sort of your revive team function is usable continuously in there so you can keep going you don't have to you're not being soft locked by it so to speak and there's going to be a whole bunch of new pets that are only available in 7.2 and are going to be available in the dungeons, which I think is kind of cool. And because they're using the actual existing dungeon architecture and they're, you know, basically have a system in place where they can apply pet battle challenges to any creature in the world, I wouldn't be surprised if we see all of the classic dungeons get this treatment. I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, wings of raids that get this sort of treatment because it's fun. And what I think would be cool is if they expanded, because right now it's a solo player thing, if they expanded it where you and a friend yes. or you yes. and two friends could each pick one battle pet as your representation for the team and you guys go in and you battle together. We are that on I, the same page here. <laughs> oh, <yep>. <laughs> I was literally waiting for you to shut the fuck up so I could make that point before I forgot. <laughs> Pain meds are kicking in and I would have forgotten inside of three minutes. But uh, but yeah, no, that's exactly what I was saying. Going back to what I said, though, wherein they could, they should do it where you can run any of the dungeons either solo or with, you know, one or two people wouldn't hurt them. And then the raids, though, you would actually need to do them with somebody else, at least one other person. Again, I keep going back to Molten Core, but it could be any number of raids. I again, I know I'm more invested in that kind of thing than you are, but this is where you're heading into like really innovative Pokemon kind of idea of instead of going and going through a cave on the 3DS when you're playing the Pokemon game and it looks like crap, you're in fucking, you know, Wailing Caverns here or whatever, Molten Core Caves and doing the equivalent with as the Pokemon kind of thing and doing the, the, the battles with the bosses. I love that idea. Absolutely adore it. If it was another game that did this with their kind of IP kind of thing, I'd fucking buy that game and play that. That's awesome. And you're not the only one. A lot of people have been asking for this for a very long time. Really? And it's something that, yeah, like it's since the battle pet system has been around, so one of the, the surprisingly popular games for the Pokemon series were Pokemon, I think it was like Rescue Dungeon Explorer or whatever the hell it was called. Yeah, yeah. But it was essentially that. And it, when the pet battle system came to WoW, a lot of players have been asking for something like this on the forums and in the various places for years. And the fact that they're finally doing it, um, I'm not going to say, oh, the technology finally got there. Um, but it it's one of those things where I think they're finally realizing how easy it is for them to do and how little it really takes for them to actually sit and do it. So I'm happy to see that they're finally giving it a little attention. Well, like at this point now, especially once they implement this kind of thing, they're not far away where they can use the entire architecture, the entire gameplay areas of wow, including all the planets and everything but turn it into a Pokemon type game where you create your character and you decide, is it going to be a wild character or is it a wild battle pet or Pokemon or whatever the fuck they're going to call, it, you know, um, character. And then you use that character traversing 
those areas, same areas, just you don't actually battle creatures or whatever, but you see all of the mini pets that are strewn about those areas now anyway. Throw in a couple of quests here and there for your character. Imagine how much fun that would be. That'd be oh, yeah. fucking yeah, I mean, amazing. There's potential here, man. So I don't know if they'll ever do it. I would I would think it would be I think it would be fun. I think it'd be cool. Yeah. So anyways, so yeah, very cool. Okay. Let's move on. Unless was there much more? I mean, there's a ton more, but it's not it's all like little minor tweaks and like new artifact appearances and stuff like that. It's a big patch. It, it's going to be a big patch, and it looks like the content that they're pushing out, not just previously but going forward, uh, is these are going to be big things. So take some time, read through them if you're even passingly interested in a while. There might be something in there for you. Yeah. Okay. Before we get to the changes we're going on right now in Overwatch, there is another patch, very fucking important patch. Vince, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, well. What? Marvel Sumsum 2.5. Oh, yeah. I just downloaded that today. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it came live today. That's why. But yes, Marvel Sumsum. I am still playing this fucking game, Tart. Thank you very much. <laughs> do, you, do you mean to turn around and tell her that you're cursing her name right now? Unbelievable. And everybody I oh, tell no, to I'm play. I'm not nearly as bad as he is. I'm Well, again, I'm playing most of the time. I'm just kind of sitting up and playing with my legs up. But I'm having so much fun with this game still. And every time they're doing little events or whatever, I'm having a blast. And now they fix some shit, too, so that because one of the things that pisses me off is it's it's partially that money grab with their microtransactions, but also just bad RNG. When you're buying the orbs to buy the eggs, it gives you a new sum sum or whatever. Often you'll get one of the motherfuckers you already have. It'll kind of level it up a little bit, and it'll increase its luck. But you're talking about the most you'll ever get with that is, you know, maybe 10 if you're really unlucky or depends on how many you buy or whatever. And you're leveling up 99s anyways with the, the bosses. But so now what they're doing is as you get the new ones, it actually increases their stats as well. So now all of a sudden it makes sense to use the ones that are that you have gotten Double stribbles, whatever's of. Very cool. Yeah, I got a duplicate Falcon today and immediately switched him into my team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's applying to some old ones too. Like I got some old ones that I looked at today and I went, yes, motherfuckers, I'm going to kill you. Oh, it's it's retroactive? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, now if you look that at That I did not expect. Yeah, there's a lot of cool shit in it. Anyways, all I have to say, people. Play Marvel Sumsum. <laughs> I love this game. Okay, I move on. Um, once again, Overwatch Blizzard is doing same thing with Overwatch with a holiday, and this time it's the Chinese New Year, and putting a crap load of new stuff in for you to get for for a while. Well, I think it's also important to point out it's not just the Chinese New Year; it's the Lunar New Year celebrated throughout all of Eastern Asia because Korean and. Yeah. Uh, Vietnam and it, it, there's a lot of representation here outside of just China given I mean the the poster children for this patch are May and Diva you know in their traditional Chinese and Korean New Year's outfits so I really well done all around I thought so, yeah, Diva was Japanese huh I thought Diva uh, was Jap- Korean okay I didn't, I didn't look yeah Diva, Diva is a Korean Dorito monster cool okay 
So yeah, uh, Year of the Rooster launched yesterday, running through February 13th, uh, with uh, a lot of really, really cool stuff. Like, we get the usual skins and whatnot, which are really nice, some of them. But I was actually really blown away by the uh, Journey to the West skins. I don't know if any of you caught that. Journey to the West. I did, yeah classic Chinese tale of a Buddhist monk traveling to India to gain uh, sacred scriptures. And he's joined along the way by these fantastical, mythical creatures to help him out. So the skins that they have in the game, you have Zenyatta with the Zhuanzang skin being the Buddhist monk in the story. You have Winston with Sun Wukong, the monkey king, Roadhog Which made and, me very happy, by the oh way. Oh, God. As soon as I saw that, I was like, yes. Yeah, it was nice. uh, Roadhog representing uh, Zhu Baji, the, the pig. And a little creepy on that one. <laughs> pig head except stapled you, over his own head. if you read the myth, it's <laughs> it actually, fits. yeah. And uh, Reinhardt being Sha Wu Jing, the uh, water troll. Yep. So I, it, that's an amazing little twist that I wasn't expecting. Like I saw the, the Sun Wukong skin and I'm like, Oh, okay. Of course, Winston's going to be the monkey King. And then I saw the picture with the four of them together. And like, it's like, wait a minute, you got the monkey, you got the pig, you got the monk. Holy shit. They actually did a very good representation of this classic story, which has been told and retold countless times over the hundreds of years. A small little thing you might've heard of called dragon ball was actually based on it. So this is an immensely important uh, bit of literature that Overwatch is paying respect to, and I thumbs up for that because I'm going to be getting a lot of these boxes. Hell yeah! I I don't want to give them a crap load of money because some of them I'm not as crazy about. Yeah, and you have I like the usual like, like oh here's a tracer skin. I actually like the the rooster bastion. <laughs> the rooster bastion is hilarious. Yeah, there were a few that I... Enemy becomes a rooster makes me happy. We've determined now, without a doubt, that the Mercy skins are always going to be the nicest ones. Somebody who designs skins, they're really like... now, man. What's that? They're just recolors on this one. That one there? No, it had a few differences still on it. It's still her basic skin, dude. She's definitely in the lower tier of this patch. Compare her to the Reinhardt skin or, like, you know... The Roadhog skin, there's a very big difference. Or even the Diva skin. The Diva skin is phenomenal, especially with the um, – what I thought was cool about it was how they did the uh, the glass on the front of her mech mm-hmm. and how it made to look like the traditional, like, you know, sort of architecture almost. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, some neat stuff. So, yeah, it's worth going in and playing. You get the one free box, and uh, and now they've got the capture. The, well, in this case, capture the rooster. Capture the rooster. And if you that'd win be a that, lot more fun if fucking Symmetra wasn't still instant win. God damn you, Blizzard, fix her! <laughs> I love how they they put out that video discussing like you know how they had initially tried to do a capture the flag mode, but it didn't quite work. They tried completely rebalancing the heroes for the mode but then it stopped being fun so they decided fuck it it's a seasonal event it's capture the flag with all of your crazy overwatch bullshit and apparently it was fun for like five minutes and now it's just completely broken <laughs> yeah it took me a few tries i i didn't get my wins so i got my free box so I, that's all i care of course i got fuck all worth of anything in any of the boxes <laughs> so all right anyways let's move on uh, a couple of dlc that are going to be coming out soon as well. Joe, you found the Dark Souls 3 one. What did you think of that? 
Actually, it's probably the most important DLC in the Dark Souls uh, universe because it's going to finally tie everything together. So one of the cool things about Dark Souls is Dark Souls 3 in particular is the last fight that takes place is in the the area of the first kiln, kiln of the first flame. It's the same place that the very first end game boss fight occurred as well. So it sort of tied things together there. What they're doing here is they're going with the canonical ending that you decided not to light the fire again. You are not the kindling to the flame. You're letting it go out. You're ushering in the age of darkness. Um, this is something that if you follow the lore of it or if you listen previously when I did the whole lore breakdown, go back and listen to it if you haven't. Uh, I talk about how there's this sort of cycle going on and the cycle's never been allowed to complete. Here they're going with, well, you're letting it happen. And here you're going to what's called, um, it's the Ring City, which is supposed to be past the world's end, past the flame, the killing of the first flame, where there's supposed to be the history of the world is supposed to be. Everything that happened before the Age of Fire, which is sort of a forgotten age. And it's kind of cool because they're starting to do uh, representations from all the other games. They're starting to actually tie that in. Like uh, during the video, there is like a winged fire demon but it's a weak-winged fire demon. Well, Demon Souls was kind of the first entrance in there, and it was all about the age of demons. They're tying everything together where they can actually end the story, and I think that's kind of important because, honestly, I want to know how the fuck it ends. I want to know what the hell happens. I'm actually really excited for this. Cool. Cool. Not to mention From Software said they want to move away from Dark Souls for a while, so it, it makes sense to really tie things together in a satisfying way. Yeah, and it's coming out in March, too. It's it's right around the corner. All right, and then the other one was the Deus Ex Mankind Divided. The Criminal Past DLC is going to be coming out soon. They were talking about that as well, too. That's a prequel mission, the first one that he uh, does for Task Force 29, where he goes undercover in a prison for augments. It sounded very awesome. So you're going to be starting that when then, Joe? Deus Ex? Probably this week, actually. Cool. Okay. We'll be talking about that soon on the podcast because I'm not far behind in wanting to get that one done as well. I am really looking yeah, forward to it. It's next in my queue as well. Cool. Awesome. And then lastly, I just wanted to touch briefly on Hex, and that's because the next set is going to be coming out, Scars of War. They're following up after their current one which is hero fall and what's interesting with these guys once again and i know i talked to them about it quite a bit is i love how they keep inserting story not just externally like on the site or the books or things like that but within the cards as well you get the idea of what has happened in each of the um the sets that you can get and that, that occurs in some of the other TCGs, of course, as well. It's just I notice it here quite a bit. And this one here, again, you're getting a lot more with the, what's going on with the war and whatnot. And they're doing a lot with putting in some new keywords and whatnot and how they're working that into the story. And they're trying to keep it again where you are fighting with your faction a lot. Not against them, but with them. It's This war is bringing the factions together. And that's something that this game has done uh, very well, especially if you read the books, is is in setting up those factions and which of the races belong to them and how it makes sense that they would as well kind of thing. So here they're working on that. What, what's very cool is they're trying different things as well and actually allowing you to have cards that are multiple members from different races within a faction together 
And why this is important is that a lot of the cards that you get, if it's, say, uh, an effects card that would affect the statistics of all warriors or all warlocks or all this or that or race or whatever, now all of a sudden you have a higher chance of hitting those because you're going to have two different things because they're, they're mixing it up. And in addition to that, you have just the coolness factor of... Yes, I said coolness for a TCG <laughs> of having this kind of not an enhanced card, but something that's different than the norm. And that really plays in with the story behind it and whatnot. And then they're doing uh, really cool things with, you know, some of the different things that they're doing with like uh, mobilizing to get the cards out faster or diligence and things like that. And very cool and whatnot. But what they're doing as well is they're using um, conscription so they're using it so that you can actually, because of how the story is going on and because of, because they're thinking beyond just a card game and you get that in a lot of the statements that they make when they're looking at, okay, what's going to happen to the people during a war like this that lasts this long? How would that affect different people and whatnot? And you do have the, the, the idea of turning over people from other factions to come over to your faction too. So here now, this is going to allow you to use cards from other decks, other races and other factions that you wouldn't otherwise be allowed to use. Now all of a sudden you can because you can use this conscript card on them to bring them to your side essentially and to the point where it even changes what resources they require to something that you have. It's very freaking cool for a card game again. And because this is now what is that, their fourth or fifth set? No, fifth. I want to say fifth. Yeah, I think it's a fifth. This is not a fluke anymore. This is not like we can look at all of the time that they were in beta, which was considerable, alpha and beta, until they finally hit their what they felt was ready for release and whatnot. And then the introduction of the PvE stuff that's in there. Because this is not even part of the PvE. This is just <laughs> the cards. This is the lore of what you're playing. So when you look at what they've done so far, it is so far advanced than what you would expect from a company that's relatively this new edit until you look at their pedigree and you remember all of the stuff that they've done and all of the people they hired specifically for this who have decades of experience and they're bringing it to bear on this game. See, it wasn't really mentioned here, but the stuff I really like about these new faction cards is what it's going to add to gameplay depth once you finally get, like, the cooperative dungeons going. Oh, God, yeah. Because yeah. that's going to synergize with all the players. It's not just, you know, two or three players playing their own kind of individual card game against the enemies. Now you're going to have an ability to really synergize where like, okay, you know, those things that for X number of ardent troops that are on the board, well, if you're teamed up with two or three or however many other players, that card becomes immensely valuable. That's, that's really what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, hopefully that's not too far off. If I'm not mistaken, from what I'd read, it actually mm -hmm. isn't. So that's that's kind of cool. But oh, Jesus, that is freaking awesome. 
Okay, so that is actually going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore, or Joe is Loaders at J, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher, and with that, we will talk to you guys next week. I don't want to be a tiger Cause tigers play too rough I don't want to be a lion Cause lions ain't the kind you love enough Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. I don't want to be a lion Cause lions ain't the kind you love enough